2: welcome back everybody to another edition of the junkyard Dogcast. i'm jordan hill we got kip adams with us as always and then a special guest duck territories eric scopel has jumped on with us we are going to be talking about georgia and oregon the game to get things kicked off to start the 2022 season for the bulldogs as well as the ducks uh we'll get started with you Eric. Uh, how is this day treating you as you get ready for Uh, what i assume is going to be a trip out east in a few days yeah
0: i fly out friday um it's been busy i
2: just got back from practice
0: well i I guess we watch as much as they allow which is not a lot you're probably used to that and uh spoke with coach landing for about seven to eight minutes his second and final time speaking with media before saturday's big game so i i've got as much as i possibly can from landing this week so fire away with what you want to know. I, I think I've got a decent grasp, but I think as we've talked about before this, our grasp on it's not a lot necessarily because I think both head coaches are pretty guarded with what they want to talk about.
2: Oh yeah, he, he uh, I have no doubt Dan Lanning has brought the Georgia way out West. Uh, before we get going, Kip, how is this day treating you as we get a little bit closer to the start of Georgia season?
1: Pretty good. I'm starting to, you know, I'm still uh, in off-season shape, but, you know, uh, try, trying to get prepared as best I can. I think we could use a little bit of an extended fall camp for conditioning purposes. But you know what? Uh, Saturday's right around the corner. I'm just going to go out there and, and see what I can do with, with what I got right now. But, uh, yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, it, it's here. And, you know, just excited because there's a lot of expectations, obviously, for, for both programs playing in this game. But. These are the games you love to cover. And I think, uh, Dan Lening knows that Kirby smart loves these, you know, neutral site, uh, kickoff games. It, it's good for both programs and it, it kind of, you know, it allows you to not just to motivate your players in the off season, but it gives you the best scouting report possible for, uh, for what you have on your roster. So I just think it, it's good for these games versus, you know, kind of those, uh, Not gonna say cupcake games but you know you don't want to you don't want to open up with an fcs opponent and then have no idea what you have then go into conference play and just get bully balled and and find out the hard way that you might not have the roster you think you do
2: well eric let's jump right into it and kind of start from the top the sort of the thread that uh, is shared between georgia and oregon is dan lanning obviously dan was hired after Georgia's national championship run, the former defensive coordinator taken over there with the Ducks. Just in the time you have been around, Dan, and and just been around the program since he took over, what stands out to you just about the way he has gone about running this program as they get ready for his first season?
0: Yeah, I think the culture seems to be set a lot, really similar to when Mario Cristobal first arrived here was, I guess Cristobal a year as an offensive coordinator before being promoted, but there's a, there's a semblance and a sense that like the guys kind of get, what the what the plan is, um, you know, and, and it was interesting because I think last year, some of that started to dissipate down the stretch of last year's season for Oregon, and you kind of started getting some mixed signals from the players, you know, overtly or not of like, kind of felt like they lost kind of their focus and their direction. And I think Dan has brought a very clear, cohesive message, a very clear understanding of what the expectation is about, you know, the growth mindset. I'm sure these are probably phrases that carry over from Georgia and, and other parts of the Southeast where he's worked, but, I just think, you know, it it feels like from a culture perspective, there's been buy-in and I think that's the most important thing. I mean, I've covered several iterations of Oregon teams coached by different coaches. And I think both Cristobal and and now Dan have done a great job of establishing culture early on. I don't know if that was necessarily the case when Willie Taggart was here. That was kind of a weird year, to be honest, kind of weird that even took place. Um, But that culture part seems to be really clearly in place. And I think, Talking with the coaches around him, I think he's hired a really good staff. Um, a lot of kind of heavy hitters from a recruiting perspective. They continue to recruit really well. Um, guys who've got experience coaching at really high levels. And Tosh lupoy has been a defensive coordinator at Alabama on national championship teams. And Kenny Dillingham has worked down in the southeast a little bit. And he's super young. Guys like 32 years old. And he's got a ton of years uh, under his, uh, you know, a ton of experience for someone his age. Obviously, this is he's, he's a little green compared to some. But... Uh, you know, I, I think this from a staff to up top to bottom, it's a great staff and, and he inherits a pretty talented team. This is arguably I don't know exactly where it'll stand in the team talent composite because I don't think that's come out yet. But last year's team was ninth nationally. I expect this year's team to be somewhere from probably 10 to 13. There's a little turnover with some key guys, but they also added some really talented players. So um, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of reason to be optimistic. There's also I think the recognition going into this week that it's going to be a really tall task. And that's been communicated pretty clearly from Dan and all the way to the bottom of players we've t- spoken with this week. So um, I'm impressed, but of course, I'm saying all this and I've seen one spring game. I've seen very little practice and I've seen no games during the fall. So my, ch- my tune may, uh, may change sooner than later if things go really ugly, but I don't expect it to, to be honest. I think there's a lot of optimism and I don't think I'm alone with those in Eugene or on the West Coast that are following this Oregon program that feel like there's a real sense of optimism right now.
2: Looking at this week specifically, I know, you know, with Kirby, the the media availabilities he's had, he's taken several questions about Dan, obviously, because of their relationship. Uh, What has Dan said as far as, you know, when it comes to the time he spent at Georgia, whether it's dealing with Kirby Smart or just, uh, you know, what this opportunity to play Georgia so uh, quickly after he left Georgia? um, what, What has Dan sort of shared on that front as far as specifically playing Georgia?
0: I think one of the first things that stood out was just the amount of respect he has for the program, and that's obvious, and the amount of respect he has for Coach Smart. I think he noted that he wouldn't be in this seat if not for Coach Kirby Smart, and he's not wrong, right? I mean, if it was not for that opportunity, which you guys can probably inform me whether or not the Zachary was probably a little bit of a – a, maybe a bit of a flyer on a, on a really young, kind of inexperienced defensive coordinator when they promoted him, and I know they had some other really talented candidates, Glenn Schumann, who stepped into – a co-DC role was another candidate at the time, also another young, inexper- unexperienced guy at the time, probably. But uh, I think Lanning is always kind of forever grateful for that opportunity. Um, and so that part came across. And then the other part is he said he was really excited for this, you know, um, noted that he's not going to be playing. Coach Smart's not going to be playing. You know, all these coaches that he's, that he's you know familiar with aren't going to be playing in the game, but certainly got the sense that, you know, he understands the magnitude of this. It's super weird, by the way. I mean, no we've quite said it, but I think it's like kind of the elephant in the room of like, how weird is it that this is his first game who they're facing under these circumstances? It's just bizarre. I mean, when the scheduler scheduled this out, whatever it was six years ago, nobody thought Oregon's head coach would be a, a coach coming over from Georgia who just won a national championship. I mean, the the parallels are weird. I mean, the other part is Brian McClendon was Oregon's interim head coach for the Alamo Bowl. and Now he's on Kirby Smart over at Georgia. So there's there's a bunch of kind of weird, I don't know, I don't want to say incestuous, but kind of overlap between these programs that makes it kind of a weird dynamic going into it. So um, Oregon doesn't have many players on its team. They've recruited from the state of Georgia, but they've got a couple and, and we've talked to those players. And um, obviously, for the most part, those aren't players Oregon beat for, you know, over Georgia for, for the recruitment. Those are guys that Georgian, you kind of overlooked. And then that that maybe adds a chip on their shoulder that you would expect. But. Um, no, I, I think there's a, a great sense of respect and, and admiration, but also, as we've talked about, so much gamemanship kind of going on behind the scenes that I think Dan's trying to do everything he can to to put Oregon in its best spot here to, to be really competitive this weekend.
2: It's so funny and it's so strange with the setup of this game, with Dan, obviously, very first game in Oregon going to be playing Georgia. And, you know, I was looking through, trying to like research. What was, I mean, has this ever happened? It happened two years ago. Sam Pittman. He left Georgia, took over at Arkansas, and it was his first game. And I had a chance to ask Sam about that today on the coaches' teleconference. He made a very good point. He said, Look, Dan had an advantage of when he took the Oregon job, he knew they were playing Georgia. Arkansas was not on Georgia's schedule in 2020. Mm. The COVID season happens, and all of a sudden, Sam Pittman, former offensive line coach, is looking at his schedule going, Oh, God, I got to play Georgia in that very first game. So it's just kind of funny to see how that worked out. Uh, Kip, what do you make of this setup to this game, as far as that goes, that storyline of Dan Lanning coming back to Georgia, obviously going to be playing the game in Atlanta. Uh, you know, the the ties that he had and the amount of success he had while he was at Georgia, uh, seeing this play out uh, with kind of a reunion of sorts and when we get to Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean, Dan Lanning came to Georgia with a lot of similar attributes to Kirby Smart. It's interesting because I feel like their relationship has been talked about more than, it seems from the media and the pundits more than the actual game that's going to be played. It's been described as, as, you know, maybe the biggest uh, aspect of the game or definitely the key storyline. You know, I I'm interested in, in just seeing if there is any chess match between the two they're both obviously bright defensive minds, but at the end of the day, I think that the familiarity aspect of this game is is the most overrated aspect of it, because at the end of the day, uh, once that first kickoff goes, it's going to be about who has the better roster and who has the better team. Now, there might be some decisions made that, you know, could swing the balance of the game that, you know, Dan Lanning will, will be tasked with making in his first game, or, you know, Kirby Smart will have to react to maybe some wrinkles that he didn't expect from Dan Lanning. But other than that, uh, the, these two coaches – I mean, they know what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. They both have, you know, bright uh, offensive uh, coaching staffs as well. But it's just going to come down to these rosters. And, and uh, you know, the depth at certain positions is probably going to be a key factor in the second half. So for, for me, I, I'm not really, you know, I haven't really taken too much about it other than it's interesting. Uh, I, I just think that this is a game that this is going to probably come down to the line of scrimmage. Who has the better line? And that's kind of where my focus has been as I started to actually look at the game this week. Okay, we get it. Uh, Dane Lanning used to be on George's staff. It is very intriguing that they're starting off the season playing each other. But, I mean, we're talking about a top 15 matchup. And so it's probably, you know, better time spent talking about these rosters, talking about these players, talking about the battles. You know, uh, how is Georgia's defensive line that sent three players to the first round of the draft going to handle maybe the best offensive line they're going to face all season? Uh, That's something that's kind of just – taken my focus as i've looked past uh, the coaching relationships and known that you know familiarity uh, we've seen over the years hasn't really mattered as as much Uh, and obviously with kirby smart coming under the you know the nick saban tree we've watched you know saban just just run through assistance left and right until last season you know losing two games to former assistants for the first time uh so that storyline we've watched it not matter at all but obviously with Nick same, it's a little different because he's got the best roster in college football uh, on an annual basis. So it's a little different. These rosters a little bit more evenly matched possibly, but at the same time, I I think that's where this game is going to come down to. And, you know, Dan Lanning's got a shot. I I think the the number three versus number 11 games are kind of close to 50% in that like, I think 55 to 60% range, as far as the higher ranked team winning, I mean, that, that's that's not as high as what people would imagine uh, just with Georgia coming off a national championship. So I just think, you know, how even will this game be? And how even are
2: these rosters? That's what I want to know want to find out on Saturday. Before we go to a break, Eric, Kip mentioned the offensive line for Oregon. And to me, from the outside looking in, that seems like, you know, a very strong point in this offense. And, and you know, looking at the fact that they were Joe Moore Award semifinalists, just like Georgia was last year. Uh, what do you make of this offensive line coming into a new year, the experience they have back, and, and the challenge Georgia is going to see in facing them? Yeah,
0: for starters, Mario started five guys but rotated three every game. I would never seen anything like it, but every, every other offensive series, they moved their left guard to their left tackle. They moved their right guard to right tackle. They brought in another player to play one position. So what that benefited was there's a lot of guys who played a ton um they had a guy who's i guess a sixth starter last year who graduated but five of the guys who played the most snaps are all back Um, now the question is where they all play and they don't have a depth chart out i don't know exactly how this all fits together the most talented offensive lineman is tj bass he finished last year as a left tackle he wants to play left guard that's what he'll play in the nfl i think he's a guy who will be probably a day two draft selection, really talented as an interior guy. But last year they, they, they slid him out to left tackle, and, and he was by far their best player there. I don't think there's any question, but the hope was this year that they would find another way to kind of solve that problem. Steven Jones probably has a better left tackle body in terms of he's six, seven long arms, doesn't have quite as quick a feed as you'd like. He was playing um, right tackle or right guard last year, depending upon the rotation. Um, I don't know if they felt like he was doing enough in the spring because in the spring he was their left tackle. Seemed like the last couple of times we've watched some practice, again, no depth chart out. Seemed like T.J. Bass was back at left tackle, but I, I'm going to be curious to see kind of how that operation works because Oregon's going to be very aware of who's coming off that edge, and they want to have their best foot forward at left tackle. The other option might be true freshman Josh Connerly, who was the – nation's top rated offensive tackle uh, this last cycle, who was getting some run with the ones early in camp. But from what I've seen and heard behind the scenes, I don't think you you should expect to see him start. Maybe he gets in there if things don't go very well or there's an injury. But I think it's going to be one of those veteran guys at left tackle. And that's where it gets interesting. Um, Ryan Walk is a great story in terms of he's really undersized. Local kid from Eugene, Oregon, same high school as Justin Herbert, played with him, uh, came as a walk on. He's earned himself a starting spot. This is his third straight year as a starter. Very undersized. I will be curious to see how he holds up from some of the interior pressure from Georgia because he's listed at like 6'2", 295, but 6'2 is a stretch. I'm not a super tall guy, but I'm an inch or two taller than he is. Um, I'll be kind of curious to see how he handles himself. He equipped himself very well last year against Ohio State. He was kind of one of the breakout stars with with how he performed a couple of times, pulling and just taking out guys at the second level. I'll be curious to see how he performs. Um, But this is a veteran group that has, I would say, you know, a couple of years ago, they had Penny Sewell, who was a first round top 10 draft pick and everybody knew it. This team has TJ Bass. So like I said, maybe he's a second, third, fourth round pick, but there's no super, super duper star here. Um, There are five guys who played a lot together and five guys that are pretty good. I just don't necessarily know how it all fits together. And I think that's going to be the interesting part of the puzzle is who's playing left tackle, who's playing left guard. We know who the center is. That'll be Alex Forsythe. He's kind of the, the captain of the group. But collectively, it's a really talented group. But it's, I, I think there's still some question marks, at least for me, going in of where everybody's situated. Because even last year, there was so much movement. And, and in the spring, they're moving guys. And it seems like in the
2: fall, they continue to do that. To your point with the, uh, the background Mario had at offensive line, it's no, uh, no surprise that they've still got a whole lot of talent at the positions. And i uh, going to be curious. Uh, I'll probably be... Uh, scribbling notes maybe help you out on uh, saturday once they get that starting line out there and make sure we got who uh, who all's out there uh eric we'll take a quick break on here and then we'll pop back on we'll talk a little bit about bo nicks a guy a lot of georgia fans have gotten a chance to watch over the years and then just talk about a few of the other matchups and then eventually give our predictions on what we expect to see on saturday
1: this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news
2: welcome back everybody well eric yeah let's jump right into bo Nix, a guy that has played georgia three different times this is going back to when he was a quarterback at auburn uh as we mentioned earlier uh you know uh, he has not officially been named the starter at oregon uh, as far as i can tell he's going to be the guy uh, is that the case and if so eric what do you expect to see uh, from bo Nix as oregon's quarterback
0: it would be a real stunner if it's not bo Nix at this point um I, I have heard that the competition was, was more competitive than maybe some of the outside expected, and that was a good thing because Ty Thompson, who really was kind of up and down this spring, supposedly had a really good offseason. I know he was down at the Manning Passing Academy, turned some eyes down there. Really big, talented athlete. This is a guy who was, before Dante, more recently committed, was the highest-rated quarterback commit in program history, at least as they started doing all the recruiting stuff at the beginning of the 2000s. Um, but it sounds like Ty pushed and and that's a good thing it doesn't sound like from what i've heard he did enough to win the job but we'll see we could be shocked i mean they no depth chart and they're playing things very much close to the chest in terms of what we've seen from nicks is i i was really impressed in the spring with how he handled himself with the other quarterbacks because this is a competition and you just don't know you know i think you know because of how limited we, what we were able to watch in practice was it was you know I, I was it stood out to me that Nicks would come over and give pointers to Ty Thompson and to Jay Butterfield, who are the other quarterbacks competing for the job and 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 would spend extra time after practice with his receivers and his tight ends. and, and really seemed like he put everything into trying to be a leader here, which is not always easy to do coming all the way across the country with a team that's pretty established, that um, you know, that culturally, probably a little different, being somebody from the state of Alabama as, as opposed to most of the guys in this roster are from Oregon or California or Washington, Nevada, Utah, that part of the country um it seems like he kind of won most of the team over though and i think he won over ty thompson and jay butterfield too of two, again two scholarship guys he's competing with who've just had nothing but great things to say about him um how he fits into this offense is i'm going to be just like i talked about the offensive line there's gonna be some surprises for me uh, i'm same thing with Bo. I, I i don't know what to expect you know i watched the highlights And then I go watch the games and there's a lot more low lights that you don't see on the highlight reel. I mean, some of the highlight stuff is is pretty dang special. And then you go up and like, well, they did lose by 17 points. And he threw two picks that were on that highlight reel. And you go back and watch it and you go, oh, well, that's that's maybe not your favorite part. And even saw that in the spring game where he had a couple of really long touchdown passes, a couple of really nice looks, but also threw one and just kind of didn't see a linebacker for a pick. And I think that's kind of what Oregon fans are expecting, which is some pretty high end play. Maybe some not so great play. Um, I think there's a level of just excitement to see an offense that does try to stretch the field and does try to be a little more aggressive. I think when when Cristobal was here, the the sense from Oregon fans was it was kind of a boring offense. And you know, we'll see what Kenny Dillingham intends to do. One of the things he's talked about is trying to stretch the ball vertically down the field, try to get the ball to Oregon's playmakers. Um, this is a receiving core that lost a ton of guys, but the players that are back are super talented. I think. Four of the 12 best receiver recruits in program history are on this roster. Um, they've got a couple transfers that have come in that I think will play a pretty big role. They, one of their best receivers was playing running back last year, and they moved him over to slot. Seven McGee, that's a guy that's been compared to DeAnthony Thomas. So we'll kind of see what the skill room looks like, but um, I'll, I'll just be curious to see kind of how the offense operates, because we saw a little bit of it in the spring game. They threw the ball all the way around the yard. They did a good job with it but I wonder what it looks like when you get into a game like this against an opponent like this. And my, my guess is they're going to be forced to do a little bit more of that than they'd like, just because of the talent Georgia has in its front seven. And then we get to see what Bo Nix can do and to see if he can have a little bit of redemption. It's funny. Cause I was thinking about this morning, last time Oregon played an sec team to open up a season, Bo Nix the another sideline and threw a touchdown pass to dash Oregon's dreams. You know, there's some level of, storybook kind of ending here for if maybe he can do the opposite and help Oregon win a game against a really big time football program on the road, but we'll see if it gets there.
2: It's going to be very interesting to see. And also kind of just an adjustment to see Bo Nix for the people who have watched him, not in an Auburn Jersey. That's uh, obviously going to be something very different. Uh, I wanted to make sure too, Eric and ask you about a guy that as far as Oregon players go is one of the guys that have been talked about the most as far as uh with Georgia and getting ready for this game, and that's Noah Sewell. What does he do for this defense? And maybe more importantly, what do you feel like Tosh Lupoi and Dan Lanning can get out of Noah and the role he can play this year? Yeah,
0: Noah's super talented as a linebacker. Um, he and Justin Flo, who's now finally healthy. I mean, those two guys were recruited in the same cycle um, in the 2020 class. And I think the number one and number two ranked linebackers in the country. I think Georgia was recruited both of them. I know Kirby talked about that earlier this week. and. These are really talented inside linebackers. And Flo's been out for basically the entirety of the first two years he's been at Oregon. And I think the hope for Oregon is that they're both able to play next to each other you know, this year. And it's probably the last year for Sewell at Oregon. And if, if it's a good year for Flo, I think he has the talent and kind of the pedigree that this might be a you basically see him for one year because of the injuries. Um, there's a lot of optimism about those two guys in the middle of Oregon's defense. Oregon you know, historically has, has had some really good players in the secondary they've had some good defensive linemen but linebackers a position if you just go look through players that have been drafted players that have had nfl success it's not a very long list of oregon players and it feels like this could be one of the more talented inside linebacker duos oregon has had maybe ever um and for sewell guy just is hits like a truck he's a big kid at two I mean, he came in at 265 i think and he's now slimmed down to 255 um I think athletically, it surprises you with how well he runs sideline to sideline because he's a big kid and he does most of his work in the box, but you get him out in coverage and I think he got better at la- towards the tail end of last season um, in that regard. I think that might be an area where Georgia tries to to challenge him a little bit. Is just how well does he stay with the backs and the tight ends and obviously um, the Brock Bowers matchup is going to be really intriguing. I don't think it'll be Sewell on him, but you know, at, at times maybe, I, I, I'll be curious to see kind of how Oregon attacks that because that to me feels like a a matchup to watch for, for when Oregon's on defense. But, you know, Sewell's a really talented player. The staff, I think you have to feel good about the idea of having someone like Lanning with his track record of having, what, three linebackers last year be first three round picks and the talent that they had there um, and his ability to develop those guys. Well, Sewell and Flo are, are players that are similar from a recruiting perspective, ranking wise, uh, maybe even better than a couple of those guys and, and, and the ability to potentially maximize them. and. And utilize him on this defense like I, I think Lanning has to be pretty excited about the front seven as, as a whole what he's inherited and what he stepped into because he's got some guys to work with and and you know, there's a couple of guys that aren't going to be starters that started a lot of games last year um, at inside linebacker that flow is kind of pushed to the side just because of his natural talent um, it's a deep unit and, and probably defensively I think linebacker is probably the best unit on the team
2: Let's kind of switch gears and talk about the matchups we're interested in seeing and we can each take a turn. Uh, When it comes to Saturday's game, and I'll start and then I'll throw it to you, Kip. To me, it's one we talked about a few minutes ago, and it's going to be Oregon's offensive line against Georgia's defensive line and seeing if Georgia can create pressure. That's something that through fall camp, Kirby Smart was a little bit disappointed in. You know, He talked about the fact that he felt like You know, they weren't generating enough pressure, and that allowed in the very first scrimmage Georgia had, it opened the door for some big plays from the offense. And, you know, I think that they got more of what they were wanting in the second scrimmage, but I still think there's a lot of questions really outside of Jalen Carter when it comes to this defensive line. Can guys like Zion Logue step up? Can guys like Tramel Walthour or the freshman, the freshman Michael Williams, uh, if he is called on at defensive end, can these guys get after? Uh, Oregon and specifically make Bo Nix uncomfortable they have done a very good job during Dan Lanning's time at Georgia uh, of really flustering Bo I mean his freshman year uh, when they played Georgia was his best outing against Georgia when Owen three uh, in those three meetings so to me that is the matchup I'm most intrigued by seeing how Georgia's defensive line plays against again a very good offensive line one that Kip said earlier could wind up being the best offensive line Georgia faces all year. Uh, kip is there a matchup or or multiple matchups uh, that really intrigue you when it comes to this game i think you're muted there kip got me
1: again all right so there's a couple that they kind of caught my eye Uh, i i want to see for one how oregon's secondary just this handles georgia's pass catchers and we know you mentioned brock bowers you know i'm not sure any of the linebackers you know whether they're really going to be able to run with him he's you know he he runs like a wide receiver out there so it could be a situation where they're putting you know possibly the star on him and this for dan landing it's just one of those multiple positions that you're really not gonna for one know who the starter is until they get on the field and two he's gonna go situational i think you look at the jack position you look at the star position just like kirby smart it's going to be dictated on matchups and and what's really interesting to me is there could be three guys from the state of georgia that end up starting for oregon i i think you look at Jamal hill from uh, like 20 minutes south of me at morrow high school he's a guy that, that could be tasked with with going up against Brock Bowers and then you just you look at the secondary i mean brian addison's a guy that was highly recruited and 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 very talented at safety but then They're, you know, their best, if not second best player on the roster, most talented, might be Christian Gonzalez. You know, he's a guy that you you can use all across the defense because. You know, of his size, he's a guy that's getting a lot of draft buzz. And for Georgia the, to have Keely Ringo getting a lot of the pub, you know, being out of the Northwest, I think Christian Gonzalez is a guy that's got a similar frame, 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, Daniel Lanning, just like Kirby Smart, loves versatility, loves guys you can play anywhere uh, and, and give multiple looks. I think he's one of those guys that's going to be, you know, asked if it's A.D. Mitchell, if it's Brock Bowers, they're going to put him all over the place. And he he can make plays on the ball it's just you know can he force any turnovers that's that kind of that one aspect of his game you you, you want to see you know if he can kind of turn the corner in this year and, and and make himself some money i think that's going to be a big time matchup in this game and then on you know just on the other side of the ball keeping with a uh, potential uh, georgia guys there could be a you know a, a, a georgia running back starting for them uh, it's again i think it's going to be kind of a Depending on what looks to get, but but Noah Whittington is is a guy out of Peach County yeah. that uh, went uh, to Western Kentucky, I believe, and and Daniel Lanning using that transfer portal to plug and play a lot of guys. I, I want to see you know how Georgia's run defense can can handle you know just a lot of new faces. There's a lot of guys we talk about guys that went to the NFL, and it's interesting. You talk about Crystal Ball and and what they did on the the offensive line with rotating. That's what Georgia does in their defense. They rotate a lot of guys in and out. So while we have a lot of guys that maybe not be known as starters, you know, uh, nationally, they played a lot of football last year for this defense. Uh, so I'm interested to see, you know, how Georgia is able to get some stops on defense and and forced Dan landing to, to make some tougher decisions that's kind of where uh bonix kind of gets in trouble is uh is when he you know he's forced to uh, to make decisions in the tighter windows uh he, he tends to make some some questionable decisions and if georgia stops that running game and and, and kind of forces bow to take some shots i think there could be again some turnovers in this game uh and so that's that's really one of those interesting aspects and i, I forgot to mention uh talking about just the fact that uh, there could be multiple guys uh, from Georgia starting, and just looking at the jack position, uh, Braden Swinson from mm-hmm. from Chapel Hill High School in Douglasville, uh, he's another guy that you know is in the mix there. And I think like when they're looking for that, he may maybe a pure pass rusher look, or they want someone to pin their ears back. He could be that guy that they try to see if they can get some pressure on Stetson Bennett, a guy that kind of reminds me a little bit of Davin Bellamy, uh, a guy that, you know, Mm -hmm. made a lot of plays for Georgia a couple of years ago. I think he's, you know, he's one of those up and coming guys that I think Dan Lanning is going to love just uh, overall what he brings to the table as far as size and length and his ability to kind of set the edge a little bit, if he, if he can kind of grow in that area, I, I think he can be a guy that can get a lot of snaps for Oregon this year. So that's kind of something that's interesting to me, just the fact that you got three state guys that could play
2: prominent roles in this game on Saturday. Eric, uh, what matchup or matchups really catch your eye going into Saturday?
0: Oh, Kip, Kip named like three or four of them that I was looking at too, and did a really good job assessing some of the talent. Um, you know, I, I think Gonzalez is really intriguing, by the way, as well. I'll kind of second that one. That was one where came over from Colorado. It's not a very storied program. A team, Oregon, beat up pretty good last year. and and But and interestingly, his position coach at Colorado is also Oregon's cornerbacks coach, Demetrius Martin. And it kind of came over, and within a couple of days, it was like, no, he's he's the real deal. And, in fact, he's maybe pound for pound the best player on this defense was something I was told early in count. This is a, a defense that includes Noah Sewell, includes Justin Flo, includes... Brennan Dorlis, which is a name I want to get to in a moment here, who's probably Oregon's best defensive lineman. Um, I think Gonzalez is, could be kind of an X factor in terms of how they decide to use him. Um, I, I, I do think, I'm just really curious what the Brock Bowers solution is, if there is one, or even kind of what the game plan is there. Um, we talked to, to Coach Lanning about it, and you know, obviously he's very guarded in what he says. And We talked to Bennett Williams, who you talked to, Kip talked about how maybe rotating at that star position he and Jamal Hill are the two players rotating there. I think Bennett more than likely would draw a matchup uh, with, with Brock based upon his history and his athletic profile. I think Jamal is a little more in the box and um, Bennett has had a little more experience. He played a little boundary safety last year before he broke his foot. Um, He's, he's another talented guy who might kind of factor in there. And and Bennett talked about being confident in, in the team's ability to match up with, with Brock. I don't necessarily know if I see it. I'm really curious to see what it looks like, but, Oregon has some guys athletically to try to to try to match up with him now do I think they'll have success the whole game I'm very skeptical of that and I think most people who've watched Brock Bowers play understand why um and 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 of course you know if you're a player going to this game what are you going to say you're not going to say we have no chance in hell of stopping him he's a monster he's going to destroy us and hopefully we can keep it within 30 points but I, I do think Oregon feels like they'll have some opportunities to, to find some matchups, and I'll be curious to see what those look like. Um, I mentioned Brandon Dorless a moment ago, uh, all-conference guy last year, moved from interior, now he's playing strictly defensive end. I, we might even see him stand a little bit, something I've heard, but I don't know if that is accurate. Um, I'm going to be really curious to see, and this is probably my big matchup, is can Oregon force Georgia to throw the football? um can can they win on those downs can they win on first down and second down um because you know you mentioned earlier Oregon maybe having the best or one of the better offensive lines Georgia will face I don't think there's any question that Georgia has the best offensive line that Oregon will face this year um probably on its schedule I'm trying to think of a Pac-12 team that I think is comparable I don't know if I could come up with one um you know BYU has some talent there but I think that's a reach to even say that either so um I'm going to be really curious to see how this defensive line holds up. We talked about the offensive line and how experienced it is. It's a pretty experienced Oregon defensive line. Um, the only difference being a lot of the experienced guys are transfers. They went in the portal. It took a couple guys from Nebraska. Tony Tuioti, the new defensive line coach, um, was at Nebraska the last couple of years. He brought over two, kind of, I think they were perceived as depth pieces when they brought them over because these weren't guys that started a ton of games at Nebraska, but um, the senses, they both play quite a bit. Jordan Riley, Casey Rogers. Uh, Riley is uh, probably one of your only true nose tackles on the roster. And the other one is a guy they also brought in the transfer portal. And that's uh, Taki Taimani, who was at Washington, who did start there for a couple of years. an all conference honorable mention guy last year, I think it was second team in, in 2020. So those two guys, I, you know, we talked about how Kirby wants to rotate. I'm sure Oregon's going to rotate a lot and they'll need to. I'm just very curious to see how those two guys hold up in terms of stopping some of those interior run plays. And, and then how much can the doorless, how much of a role can a doorless play? Um, how much of a role, you know, can, can a Braden Swinson or a DJ Johnson play from, from that Jack position um, coming off the edge? Can they be, can they be factors? Um, because if it becomes a game where Georgia is just running it down Oregon's throat, that's, that's not, not, not really where you want to be if you're Oregon in terms of Trying to win this football game and Oregon, I think, is is very aware of that. I mentioned I think the front seven is probably the strength of this defense, and so you know if it does get to a point where uh, they win some of those battles, it's going to be interesting to see how Oregon's secondary plays too, because there's a lot of inexperienced guys. There, Gonzalez is, is I think, the one player you feel really, really good about putting on an island against most people most Saturdays. The other corner position is kind of a, a real question mark. Um, you know, uh, Tricoz Bridges. And Dante Manning, Manning was a five-star recruit who Georgia was in on several cycles ago as well, same class as Keely Ringo. Um, Manning's had a hard time kind of breaking into that starting lineup. I don't know who starts there, but one of those two guys will, and and neither have played very much. So um, I think there's a lot of question marks in the secondary. You feel really good about that front seven, but it's going against an offensive front that is shoot. I mean, those five offensive linemen are pretty darn good. And, and then you look at the tight ends and how that's an extension. And they might go 12, 13 personnel and Oregon's going to have a hard time matching up. So, um, I think to me, that's one that none of you got, you guys took some of the good ones, but you guys, what I was left with, I think that's an area I'm really curious about is D line versus, versus, uh, Georgia's big guys up front.
2: I was struck listening back to when Dan talked to you guys, I guess it would have been on Monday. Someone brought up Florida and someone else had done a good job of slowing down Bowers and and Dan Lanning was quick to uh, point out they still lost those games. (laughs) Easier said than done. Well, let's get ready to wrap this episode up. And what I'd like to do for each of us is talk about our game predictions for Saturday. If you're feeling so brave to give a score by all means, uh, I'll start it. Uh, I'm gonna go Georgia 31-17. I don't think Georgia covers. I think the last number I saw was Georgia by seven or by uh, by 17. Uh, I think it's gonna be a two-touchdown game. I think uh, the fact that Oregon is is pretty unpredictable. I mean, the fact that so much has changed with this roster, eleven transfers in from the portal. I think it's an opportunity for Dan Lanning and those guys to catch Georgia a little off guard. Not only that, but also the questions that Georgia has on defense, guys that again. Kirby Smart has emphasized over and over, talented but inexperienced. That that has been the three words he has used to describe specifically this defense, talented but inexperienced. I think Oregon's going to get a few plays. then They're going to hang tight in the first half, but I think uh, turnovers are ultimately going to cost Oregon a chance to pull an upset, and Georgia's going to win by two touchdowns. Kip, what are your thoughts? What's your prediction on the game?
1: Yeah, I, I think youth – for both teams is going to have a big impact in this game. I think for for Oregon, like you said, that secondary, I I have a hard time seeing Oregon getting consistent pressure on Stetson Bennett. Just looking at him last year, you know that wasn't really a strength of the team. Obviously, you, you know Kayvon Thibodeau in the league, you know your your best overall havoc player on, on defense. I mean No Soul, outstanding talent. But again, if if Georgia keys in on him. He's gonna make a play or two, but it's probably gonna open up some things in the other, you know, the the rest of the field defensively. And just kind of looking at, you know, what team was most similar to Georgia that Oregon played last year? You you bring it up, it's kind of kind of be that that Utah team with the offensive line. They kind of had their way with Oregon when all was said and done, and, and I think they ran for what 399 yards and seven seven touchdowns in, in the two wins there. Uh, that that's kind of where I see maybe some issues coming up for, for Oregon in in the second half of this game. I I think that Georgia will be able to, you know, kind of impose their will and kind of utilize the depth that they have on both sides of the ball to to start to pull away in this game. But I also think that Oregon's going to score more points than Georgia fans are accustomed to. I think that, you know, Oregon's running backs, are probably gonna uh, you know at least expose some youth in, in georgia's front seven guys that haven't played a lot of football together uh you're gonna have some busted plays, and busted assignments there and i think you know oregon's gonna be able to take advantage of that and put some points on the board so i, I think georgia goes up early i think oregon kind of makes it close and in the end I, I see georgia pulling away from this one i you know i i have them going 41 to 20 is 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 my score i'm going with the over there i I think that georgia covers they put points on the board but uh you know in in the end i i do think that uh oregon is not going to be able to get enough pressure on stetson bennett and in the backfield enough to to make those impact plays that can kind of change the the course of a close game or a game where they're kind of behind eric what do you got
2: what are your thoughts for saturday
0: I kind of think it's going to be a little more high-scoring than you'd expect, considering both head coaches are kind of defensive-minded. Which is maybe, maybe I'll be wrong. I know last year you guys opened up with a game with Clemson, which had what like one offensive touchdown or something like that. So maybe this will look silly. But there's, as you said, I think no offensive
1: touchdowns was actually. It no? yep. Okay, I couldn't It was remember. a pick-six pick for Chris Smith to win the game. So <laughs> no, no offensive uh, touchdowns in that game actually. So I, yeah, I get where you're coming from there it'll be I, I think more offensive touchdowns will be scored in this one as well uh, uh, that's a pretty
0: safe prediction <laughs> no but I, I, I do think there are enough question marks on both with both defenses where i, I and i think there's enough talent on both offenses and i think it's funny because you look at oregon historically has been been known for its offense but of late they've had a better defense than an offense just like straight up for the last four or five years i, I think this year Oregon's defense will probably be in the totality of the season better than its offense, but I can see the defense taking some time and I think Georgia, as we talked about, poses some real matchup problems, um, especially at some of Oregon's weakest places defensively, which is, I think, the big problem there because um, I just think it's going to be really hard to continually get to Stetson Bennett and that's a thing, as Kip said, last year Oregon was, I think, sixth or seventh in the pac 12 in sacks, which is weird because you had Kayvon Thibodeau. Dan Landing here. New scheme, a lot of a lot of stuff you guys have seen from Georgia the last couple of years, where they can maybe um, they maybe don't need that super elite elite guy. They could find ways to kind of almost simulate that pressure with with, with simulated pressures. Um, but I, I I just get a sense that this game's going to have a little more scoring than expected. Um, I think it's going to be. I'm not going to. I'm not sure. I'm going to put a score out because I'm going to save that for our our show when we put our scores out. But I, I agree with Kip in that I kind of anticipate Georgia. Builds a lead at half. Oregon maybe claws back a little bit, but by the end of it, it's probably not a fourth quarter where um, where there's a where there's too much hemming and hawing on Georgia's side. I mean, I, I think Oregon will probably come away feeling really good about how it played this game, feeling like, hey, we played against the best team we're going to play on our schedule, and we won some battles people didn't think we could win. We competed, um, you know, at about as well as we could and that there'll be a little bit of a moral victory to it because this is a tough game. Last year they went in and they actually got the victory against Ohio State. No one expected it, and I think there's a lot of pride on this team. A lot of those guys are back, but I think it's a little bit of a different animal, and I think Oregon will be pretty competitive, and I think they'll lose by two scores. I'm going to give them a two, I think did you say that as well, Jordan? Did you go 14-point?
2: Yeah, yeah, 31-17 was my projection. Yeah,
0: I'll say, I'll say something in that range, whether it be somewhere in that 13 to 16-point kind of margin game for for georgia and i think georgia ends up feeling good about itself feeling like it was challenged a little bit by oregon and it sets themselves up for sec planning that oregon's going to feel about as good as you can coming off a loss like that because oregon's schedule doesn't get much easier they play byu two weeks later and that's going to be a tough game and if you come out and just get steamrolled i'm not going to say the wheels fall off but you do start getting a little bit of concern about how the rest of the year plays out
2: all right everybody we are gonna wrap up this episode appreciate eric for coming on check out what those guys are doing over there at duck territory thanks again to kip for popping on we're getting ready it's almost here the start of another season 3 30 on saturday if you're not there make sure you're tuned in there on abc it's gonna be a very interesting game very exciting to watch so we'll wrap it up there thanks everybody for watching everybody for tuning in make sure if you haven't already go to the dogs 247 youtube channel subscribe let everybody know about the junkyard Dogcast. let them know where they can find it uh, we'll wrap it up right there until next time take care